Sturban of Hemp Traders and the Riverdale Hemp Company. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today. All right. You're very welcome, Joy. Pleasure to be here. It is just always so wonderful to have you. Obviously, you are just an absolute icon and decades-long pioneer in the hemp space, the number one purveyor of hemp fiber and hemp textiles in North America for over 25 years through Hemp Traders. And now, of course, you have formed Riverdale Hemp Company and have already made your way into the Guinness Book of World Records. We are so lucky to have you, brother. Let's get right into it because there's so much to discuss and we have the benefit of your advisory um, uh, lessons today as well. So let's jump right into first, what is going on with Riverdale Hemp Company? And then we'll move back into hemp traders. All right. Well, uh, what's happening uh, here at Riverdale Hemp Company and up in the Central Valley of California is very, very exciting. I mean, the most exciting thing that's happened to me is that I've been involved in the hemp industry. And it's basically uh, two separate events have been going on. Uh, the first is uh, for all these years I've been involved in hemp, this is actually the first year that I've been growing hemp. And I contracted with uh, Mr. Tom uh, Pierce to grow uh, some test uh, crops of hemp in the Central Valley near Riverdale uh, area. And uh, it ended up we grew uh, about four different varieties and we tried a bunch of different densities and a couple of different planting times and basically to try to figure out uh, you know, the best way to grow hemp for fiber. Uh, the whole purpose for me doing it this way was I realized I could not uh, pay a farmer or ask a farmer to grow hemp if I had not done it myself and didn't know what I was doing. You know, I don't want them to have to cut their teeth, especially if there's a lot of money or acreage involved. So I was you know, pat myself on the back. I was very smart uh, for a lot of reasons. One, we learned a lot, you know, growing it this year, you know, like the densities, like the planting dates and things like that. Uh, we're very, uh, we're fortunate to be in the California area near Southern California, and we're able to plant in March. And we do not have any uh, snow or frost in the spring or the fall. So we can get a much longer growing season uh, than other people. Uh, we also factored in, uh, since we uh, water is not by rain in the Central Valley, everything is by irrigation. And that's kind of a, well, I would say it's one half a dozen of the other. If you, uh, if you grow using irrigation, you have to pay for your water. So it's an extra cost. If your irrigation comes from the rain, then that's free, of course. But the drawback is if you get too much rain or too little rain, that's going to be a problem. And, you know, you may lose you know, your crop uh, for that purpose. So we pay a little more for water, but we're able to use a drip irrigation system. And because of that, we were able to measure the exact amount of water that we were putting into the, uh, the ground. And right next to where we grow the hemp, there's a whole bunch of cotton being grown. And we were able to compare the actual water consumption of our hemp with the cotton on an actual real live basis. And we proved, uh, we proved, Joy, 
that hemp actually does use about 20% less water than cotton when it's wow. being you, you proved it in the real life world, right? It's actually proved it. 2021. And the listeners, of course, can't see me, but Larry can because we're, we're looking at each other and he's seeing my just... When he said we are able to actually measure the water and compare it with the wet, with the measured water from the cotton crop right next to it, I'm like, my jaw is to the floor. This is very exciting stuff, guys. Wow. Okay. And yes, it took 20% water than the cotton crop. So those things that we've been yelling from the top of our lungs since the 90s weren't all wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that was really a thing. Uh, you and I, and we've been in it for a long time. And a lot of these claims about uh, the environmental benefit of hemp come from the emperor wears no clothes, Jack Herrera. And we've been, well, parroting it all these years, but I really have never seen an actual real-life study that proved it. Now, on top of that, uh, we were able to grow it without any uh, herbicides involved, and, and weed control or pests or weeds were a very big problem, and we actually <clears throat> were able to prove that hemp does outcompete the weeds. You know, if you've seen our uh, YouTube video, on that, we actually show it uh, how it exactly hemp completely outgrew it, completely shaded out all the weeds. Uh, the the common weed down there was called a fiddle neck, uh, was the one there, and it totally uh, outgrew it. So we did not have to apply any herbicides. Also, uh, while there were plenty of insects all around, there's a lots of bees, caterpillars, uh, uh, um, ladybugs. Tons of different insects. Insects were never a problem. The, you know, the crop completely survived. It was never an issue. And so we didn't have to use any insecticide. So regional. So, so regional. I mean, what a blessing. You, it, it's sort of like nature said, listen, we're already making you contend with the water thing. We're not going to also make you contend with the pest thing. Um, right. Not every region gets those blessings, um, as it were, which I think is fantastic. I also just wanted to mention, of course, that you prepared the land very well. And I don't think it was with till. And I'd like you to just answer a couple of questions about that because the reality is, and I have seen that video several times, I'm showing those videos to everybody as well. And that is that, of course, as strong and durable as this incredible plant is, once it's emerged and taken root, it's real wimpy emerging from the soil, right? But you set yourselves up for tremendous success there. And, and I think that's also why you had such tremendous success suppressing the weeds. Could you talk a little bit about what kind of, if you used a cedar or, and, and how you prepared uh, that soil to, to do everything you could to make that wimpy little seed emerge and then do what it's supposed to do? Yeah, it was, and I'm, I'm, this is where I'm, I'm, I might be like, hey, pause a moment. I have to think there's an actual name for the um, type of machine that we used. It was a seed drill. Seed drill. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I'm not. Oh, not good. No, no, no. That's why you got Tom. And by the way, my next question to you, because it's such a fascinating story to me, is about Tom. And that's exactly why you make such wonderful partners, brother. Right. Well, we use the seed drill. And then certainly I made every effort to look up all the literature on how to grow it. And I also reached out to a few people who had grown it and asked if they had any tips. So one of the biggest tips was uh, shallow planting 
you know, no more than about maybe a quarter inch uh, in the ground. Uh, certainly, I knew we needed sandy soil, uh, so we made sure we had sandy soil uh, where we were. That was really it. You know, we just we put it in the machine, and we did not know the machine had settings like from like one to ten. But it really didn't mean anything because different uh, crops have different seed sizes. So it just controlled the opening, you know, where the seeds would come out. So we weren't sure even the first time around exactly how hemp was going to fall through it. And on top of that, different seed varieties had different seed sizes. You know, of the hemp, as, as you probably saw the hemp nut that we had earlier. You know, that was eight times the size of the other hemp seeds. So, you know, that, that affected it as well. You know, the, the weight you have to buy, you know, and what you're going to get out of, out of it when you, when you start planting it. So what we did was we actually were very careful. We weighed, you know, we, know, we knew we had a 50-pound bag. We poured it in, had the machine go through, then vacuumed out all the, re all the remaining seeds, and weighed it, and then knew exactly what we had gotten on, onto the land. I see. Smart. So smart. And of course, unlike hemp extract varieties and even hemp grain varieties, hemp fiber varieties are planted very densely. Having said that, Correct. it's yeah. you're still having to research the proper density for, for your crop, for your everything, for your... Right. Yeah. We went with all the different densities. We're pretty much between, I think, about... Uh, 50 to about 200 pounds per acre on different trials. Wow, excellent. God, the stuff you researched and learned this year, and we're obviously so successful at that, and we're going to get to that awesome success piece in a second. Can we talk for a second about your relationship with Tom Peters? You know, I was so blessed to have been able to meet uh, Tom with you, of course, when we got to reconnect at uh, the Southern Hemp Expo in Raleigh. Fell in love with Tom. He's just such a wonderful guy, obviously, incredibly experienced farmer and processor in the cotton crop. Tell us a little bit about how this union came to be. All right. Well, I first met Tom. Uh, he and I were both on the California Industrial Hemp Advisory Board. Uh, both, it's funny, we were both asked by other people to be on the board. You know, it was neither, neither of our ideas to do it. But we were on the board. I became the uh, chair of the board, and he re uh, and I, I was representing the Hemp Industries Association, and Tom was representing, you know, a farmer. You know, they uh, one of the seats had to be held by a farmer, so we met. And let's just and let's just make sure the listeners know that that was the California Department Food and Agriculture Industrial Hemp Advisory Board, a very big deal. Continue and thank you for letting me. Right. Yeah, it was part of the uh, department, the California Department of Food and Agriculture. So we met that way, and at that time, even, I think this was around, I think, 2017, I think, when we first uh, were on. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So it, it was a three-year thing that we had to be on it. So uh, we met, and, and he told me that he, he worked for a farmer's co-op uh, that owned cotton gin, and that they were, you know, milling cotton. So at one point, you know, he did, you know, back then he did invite me over and I actually, I saw the gym, he showed me everything and I thought it was very interesting. But even then we, you know, in 2017 and 18, we still couldn't grow any hemp in California. We were, we were on the advisory board and the laws were passed, but uh, we had not, uh, the Department of Food and Agriculture had not come out with the registration. 
that was kind of what we were working on, how to, how to put that together. And Tom and I got a first-hand look at the speed of government. And <laughs> I remember it well. Oh, my God. Yeah. So what happened was the very first uh, registrations didn't come out until, uh, I, I think it was like May of 2019. You know, it was like right at the last minute, of, you know, when, you know, hemp had to be in the crowd. So I had no plans in 2019 to, to grow any hemp uh, at that point. Of course, we know what happened in 2020. Uh, consequently, going back to, I think, even 2018 and 2019, I had seeds that I was selling. I had fiber seeds that I was selling. And even back then, I had been giving them away to various farmers to encourage them to grow hemp for fiber, you know, so I could see what would happen. And I even, even with one of them signing little contracts and agreements with me, I probably had maybe half a dozen farmers, you know, agreed to grow it. And at the end of the season, none of them grew it. You know, either, you know, they never put it in the ground or they put it in the ground and then just kind of left it, you know, and didn't do anything with it. You know, let it just go right to seed. Nobody harvested it, anything. No one took pictures. So uh, I realized. Oh, wow. So sad. But I that was not uncommon. Just an interesting way it unfolded. Yes. No, in the hemp industry, yeah. yeah, that's not uncommon. So, of course, like many times in my life, I had to say, if I want something done, I got to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. It'll be on our tombstones, brother. Right. Of course, we know that, you know, 2000 and 20, you know, ended up being very unusual. And also in 2020, I, I was very much working on my uh, hand row hemp board, which I won't get into, but that was more uh, foremost on my mind. Of course. Uh, so in, uh, by the end of 2020, uh, I realized that there might be an opportunity to grow in 2021. And I began to call around and I think I happened to call Tom. I think it was me who called him. I don't remember if it was he who called me and then I brought it up. Uh, but, you know, we had the, yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, we, we, you know, would you mind growing hemp if I provided the seeds? You know, I pay you, to, you know, the thing was, I, I was like, I will pay you to grow the hemp for me. And he agreed and we went down there, we had a meeting and we figured out how much we were going to grow and, you know, how much it was going to cost and everything. And, we took it from there, and then, of course, you know, I imported the seeds, and uh, we got our first uh, seeds in the ground on March 5th. Wow. Because in Southern California, it's no problem. Right. Wow. Exactly. I did not realize that was a March 5th planting. Amazing. Okay. And before we get into the cotton gin story itself, let's talk about the crop that you grew with Tom this year. How, what do you have to report on that? All right. Well, uh, I mentioned a couple of things. No uh, pesticides, uh, no uh, herbicides that we needed. Uh, we, but in all honesty, we had the drip irrigation system. We did add some uh, kind of a liquid nitrogen fertilizer to that. As, and that's one of the yeah. one of the things that we used to say. And it doesn't take any inputs. And but no, if you are growing for commercial purposes or for some purpose other than a hobby, yes, it, it does like nitrogen. And if you have nitrogen and any type of a nitrogen deficiency, you're going to need to 
you're going to need to figure it out. Obviously, cover crops with nitrogen fixing crops such as alfalfa and legumes works great. But otherwise, hemp needs some nitrogen. So you used a little? We used it a little bit. So the crop was not, uh, quote, organic. You know, we weren't able, but even then, it, it would, it would, we wouldn't have been able to get it certified anyway. We didn't have enough time for that uh, to do it. But by doing all that, getting it planted early, uh, getting the right varieties, and planting it the right way in the right densities, we were able to get an incredible, magnificent, super tall uh, fiber crop. And at the end of the day, when we harvested it, we were actually, we got uh, 25% more biomass than uh, the historical records were growing for fiber. And, that, and that's actually a very big deal. I That piece is actually news to me right now. That I didn't know. I was going for the yeah. other incredible record you set. Wow, that's major. Right. And yeah, I think I, you know, I, think I was telling you a little bit about it. Uh, in our meeting where I was saying how all these years I had been basing all of my numbers off of off of reports or, or off of papers that had been written. But most of the papers were from before, I think, 1960, you know, prior, you know, prior to 1960. So even going back farther. So that was all we had on what, you know, you might get in terms of how much herd per acre, how much mass fiber per acre. Absolutely. And now I really remember that conversation and I apologize. What an explosion of awesome was the Southern Hemp Expo right. here. Um, but, but, and now for our listeners, to the extent that I've jumbled up this very important point that Larry was just making, which is, oh my gosh, we yielded 25% more biomass than predicted. And I've been using all of my numbers and projections based on these historical reports. We're saying that your business plan is, is more bountiful and abundant than you had thought because you're getting... Five percent got you. And a couple of things on that, uh, just to be clear to your listeners, when I say biomass, I don't mean CBD flower. I mean the total weight of all the material that's grown, you know, just stalk, leaf, everything. All right. The actual the plant material is called we call it biomass. And this right. our dictionary is the, all of that plant material is the biomass. Exactly. Exactly. And are they, and that, that definition is actually more accurate than flower material. You know, <laughs> call it biomass. Yeah. We're, we're trying so hard to get everyone's terminology straight. And it is fascinating when, and that's why in these conversations, you kind of be like, okay, in this conversation, our dictionary is this. <laughs> so. Right. So when you take that, what happens is you have this, you know, weight, you know, you harvest it and it's green. So first of all, there's a lot of water in it. So right off the bat, 70% of that weight is water. So uh, when you dry that out, you're going to lose 70%. Then, uh, once you get that dry biomass, 25% of that will be basset fiber, or long fiber, or basset fiber. 75% of that is going to be the herd. And that's just the easy breakdown. It's, you know, maybe a little more, a little less, but that's just the easy layman's terms to break it down of what you get. But you make the point, and my point also, if the farmer is getting 25% more product per acre, that makes the product technically 25% less money 
you know, that, that it could be sold for if you were going to buy it. So it allows uh, the hemp fiber market to be open to more industries or uh, more industries to be open to hemp fiber if the prices are more agreeable, if it makes more economic sense. Feeding that supply chain, connecting those dots, making it happen like you've been doing for nearly 30 years. Amazing. Right. It also means uh, a better uh, profit for the farmer as well. Uh, we we worked it out. Yeah, the other thing we 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 accomplished was I actually got uh, we were able to figure out the exact detailed farm costs for growing fiber hemp in California, and everything uh, together it's basically going to cost about one thousand four hundred and twenty seven dollars per acre to grow fiber hemp in California. And that's assuming that you're going to do, uh, you know, that would maybe be you, you had that includes like rent of the land or you know, land costs is included in that, and also paying for water is included, so irrigation. So if you already own your land and don't have that, or you're going by rain, it's going to be lower. Wow! And what was there labor cost in there? Or? Uh, well, what it is is you have the labor of things like preparing the land, uh, seeding it, and then uh, at the end, you have somebody has to come in and we chopped it down with a simple bar, and then we had it uh, bailed up uh, into square bales, which were then brought to the factory. Got it. Just such valuable information. And now tell us about the uh, very unique size of the hemp that you grew and the record that you've created in this first attempt in the United States of growing this fiber hemp. Right. Well, we actually, you're right. There were actually two records that we had. One was what we grew. We got, uh, as far as I can tell, the greatest yield per acre. Although, you know, I should probably contact uh, Innes and see if they'll take that one as well. Exactly. uh, (laughs) Exactly. That one's not as visual. So, uh, I think we had the highest yield biomass per acre, but we also got, uh, surprisingly, actually the tallest hemp plant that's ever been grown, or I should say the tallest hemp plant grown that's ever been documented as being the tallest. And that, and how tall was that? It was 24 feet, 1 and 5 eight inches. 24 feet, 1 and 5 eight inches tall of the longest, strongest biocellulose known on the planet. Now, there may be other cellulose, longer, stronger, more surface area and strength. It simply has not been discovered yet in the history of the world. You just drew the tallest, unbelievable, and you're in the Guinness Book of World Records now. Well, what we've done, we uh, basically... uh, documented, video documented everything that we did. We had the witnesses. Uh, mainly, we had contacted Guinness and said, here's what you need to do. And, you know, they, they agreed to uh, look at this as a world record. So we uh, collected all the evidence. We videotaped it. We measured it. We had, you know, people from the Department of Agriculture came out. They were the ones that measured it. So they verified it. And we've submitted it to the Guinness World Records. We're just waiting to hear back from them. fantastic and let's also just listeners if we could think for a moment of all of the things that we use trees for and by the way trees aren't even the best 
cellulose out there for most of the things that trees do. Um, and we know how valuable trees are and we know how long it takes to grow trees. And we're talking how many months did it take for you to grow a crop that essentially can grow 25 feet tall and do what trees can do? How long did that take you? I would say that uh, it is a five to six month crop. So, you know, you can, it's probably tall enough and big enough in about five months that you can begin to start harvesting, but you can let it go all the way to about six months. And right at about six months, at least we found out, uh, it then started to flower. Just amazing. So fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it did not flower until the end of September, which was very surprising. Really interesting. I wonder if that's a photo period situation. I mean, we're learning all the time. You're out there in Southern California. Yeah, it is a photo period situation, but these were Chinese fiber crops. And I, as you, uh, I've been to China many times, and I've been there during the period when they're harvesting it. And I've always been there at the very end of August. And at that time, it was starting to flower. So this basically was uh, about four to six weeks, flowered four to six weeks later than what I saw in China, which means that for whatever, maybe it's our latitude or, or what, but that means we had a, a longer growing period, which meant, you know, bigger, taller crops, more biomass harvested. Wow, just incredible. And now, and now let's talk. So Tom was growing cotton. Tom was a farmer. And Tom, again, had access to this cotton gin. Tell us that discovery and story and how you're feeling about your discovery. Oh, yeah, this is, you know, my God, absolute luck. You know, Tom, you know, we, we met on, on the board. Uh, we began to talk. He, you know, began to grow for me. But Tom uh, was a part of a growers co-op, a cotton growers co-op, and they owned a cotton gin. And, of course, the cotton gin, the purpose of that is to take the cotton and remove the seeds out of it. That's all that cotton gin does. So uh, California has a, quite a, a long history of growing cotton, uh, but over the years, uh, that amount has declined, you know, slowly but surely, smaller and smaller. So uh, in order to survive, the farmers got together, they formed the co-op, they uh, owned the gin, uh, the gin will uh, gin the cotton for the farmers. The farmers then sell the cotton, get the money for it. The gin then sells the seeds and it gets the money for that. So that I thought that was interesting. So the gin actually makes all uh, made all of its money just from selling the seeds that they collect from the cotton. Fascinating. Did not realize that at all. Yeah, I never knew that either. You know, until I started working there, I didn't know the margins were so low. That that's how it kind of operated. God, welcome to farming. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and the seeds got sold for, I think, cattle feed. Ah, interesting. Okay. Right. You know, they're not allowed to regrow the cotton. Right, yeah, right. And then what did you discover when seeing what this cotton gin would do with hemp, the longest, strongest fiber in the world? Well, there, there were a couple of things. There was more than one gin. There's actually uh, the co-op was operating two gins, and in a time, both would be would operate during Ginny's season, which, by the way, another thing I found out is only about a two to three month process in fall. 
the fall into May, maybe into early winter if it goes on long, but October, November, December, gen generally. So, and then the rest of the year, the, the mill is not even operating. Uh, there were two mills. Uh, one, actually, they had not operated it for 20 years. It had been sitting idle. And, you know, when at the time that Tom and I were growing, they began to do some experiments where they took some uh, CBD hemp stocks, you know, left over, and put it in to see what would happen. And they showed it to me a few times, and I looked at it, and I wasn't very impressed. Uh, one, it has, you know, fiber from a flower, a uh, flower crops isn't that good for fiber anyway. And they had only done one process. It just looked like it was shredded up, like they put it in a hammer mill or something. So after we uh, grew our crop, we uh, chopped it up, you know, bailed it up, and we brought that to the factory. And they're like, okay, let's try that. So they put that in. And against my belief and even our engineers' belief, we ran it through and it actually decorticated the hemp and it decorticated it beautifully in there. And and listeners who don't know, and many of you are well aware of what decortication is, that is the separating of the bast fiber, that outer bark of the hemp stalk with the inner woody core of hemp, hemp herd. And so essentially here you've got this piece of equipment that hadn't been used in 20 years and you it, it is able to decorticate hemp. It's a cotton gin decorticating hemp fiber. Yes. And it wasn't like they just put it in. They made modifications on it and they worked on it and you're continuing to make modifications. But what's really cool about it is uh, and there's a couple of very big benefits to this. One, it's a piece of equipment that's been there for a while, or, or I should say a piece of many pieces of equipment. It's a series of machines, but they know it inside and out. They knew everything about it. They knew all the little pieces that go into it. They were able to change it. They could, you know, open things up, close it, weld, do things, alter it a little bit, make it tighter, spin it faster, slower, things like that. And all the people that were working there, since they currently worked at the regular cotton gin, you know, when it began to operate, they kind of instinctively knew what to do. Wow. With it. It was really, really, really wonderful to watch. All of industry and farming working together to deliver on this promise of this incredible, versatile, valuable crop. My right. Now we have and then there's another, uh, another very big benefit to this that I only recently found out, and that is capacity. Ah, that's right. Lay it on me. Yep, I remember you talking about this. Very surprising. All right. Well, some of the uh, when in a, in our uh, expo, there's a few companies out there that are selling to coordinating equipment, and you know, wonderful. I'm glad they're out there. More to it, but I think the largest or or the, or the highest capacity I found was something like I think ten tons per hour that they were able to do. That was about the highest. All right, and our machine for cotton, they told me they can do 250,000 pounds per day for that for cotton. Okay, so that's 125,000 tons. Uh, I think I said 250,000 pounds per day. Oh, okay. So we've confused the listeners, and I'm so sorry about that, guys. Okay, so if it's 250,000 pounds, um, and then we divide that by 2,000 pounds, so we can get 10. So that's 125 tons 
per day that that cotton gin, that modified, as you qualify, of course, that modified cotton gin that has been sitting in a warehouse for 20 years it can do 125 tons, process 125 tons of hemp fiber a day. Um, we believe it can. We're going to, you know, work it out. You know, that's what, they, what it can do with the cotton. And uh, we're taking the majority of what we've harvested, and I think maybe this week or early next week, we'll run it and see, you know, when we have the whole thing operating at kind of a full capacity, what happens. Wow, so much going on there. And thank you for all of these qualifications. It's just so important for us to to get these facts right as we uh, as we share them in really this revolution where meteors are hitting asteroids as we learn and grow and reach and stretch and and deliver um, on, on again on this promise and especially for you, Larry, um, who has just been working for so many decades. It's just so fascinating to see. Now we have spoken a lot about Riverdale Hump Company and we could keep talking about it, but I want to make sure that. We discussed some of the incredible developments happening at Hemp Traders, which, of course, is the uh, online and physical um, business that you have had for decades. Uh, again, the, the foremost seller and purveyor of hemp fiber and textiles in all of North America for the last quarter of a century. You not only sell so many different blends of textiles, and I know that you, I, I, I believe that you've just recently had to have a new warehouse. You've, you outgrew a warehouse, but I won't get too ahead of my skis there. Can you talk to us about some of the developments at Hemp Traders, particularly as we know, China has, you know, the jump and the expertise on hemp textiles. They are well ahead of the whole rest of the world. But we're going to start catching up with them at some point here, especially thanks to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, China's still pretty much ahead of us. They're ahead of the whole world uh, when it comes to hemp, hemp technology and, and textiles. One of the things that we're doing, or what we did uh, about a year ago, uh, to try to bring at least some of the production back to the United States, is we bought some yarn from China, and we brought it to the U.S., and we're having the fabric made here. We're having it knitted here, then after knitting, it has to go to a wash house. So we're providing jobs here, American-made, and one thing that I can happily say uh, is the quality of the fabric I made here is better than what we got from China. Wow, isn't that incredible? And by the way, and was that three different blends or weaves that you created? Uh, I think it was four or five, actually. Wow, okay, amazing. And can you explain to us a little bit about the difference of those? Was there a, a knit versus... Uh, uh, yeah, well, they're all, since, since the, the type of machinery is on a knitting machine, uh, these, these fabrics are all knits. So within that uh, broader category, there's more narrower categories. For example, we have hemp jersey that we made. That's like t-shirt material. We have two different weights of that for, say, a heavy t-shirt or a midweight t-shirt. We also did a hemp French terry if somebody wants it to make a, a sweatshirt. Uh, we also did a hemp rib knit, uh, a fairly thick one. Uh, somebody wants it to make a sweater. And we also made, I believe, a uh, hemp cotton lycra jersey as well. So maybe we had four of them all together. Wow. And are those blends, have you sold out of those? Or are those American manufactured, American made blends still available at Hemp Traders? Oh, yeah, they're available. They're part of our regular collection. We're selling them now. 
we're just having more made right now. You know, we we started the program last year, and we and we we've had them. We've been selling it all through uh, 2021, and we were even getting more made because we sold out of what we originally made. Oh, I just love hearing it. Absolutely. And want to make sure that folks know that in addition to those American made and apparently even more superior quality than when we import them pre-made um, blends, of course, Hemp Trader sells. I guess I don't want to overspeak and say hundreds. It's just that it's endless. It seems the week we're, in, we're around a hundred. Yeah, we have, we have around a hundred different fabrics that we sell. Wow. And uh, to get back to your original question, you know, that's one thing. We're knitting some fabrics here, uh, although it's always a small part of what we sell. Uh, the other thing, by growing the hemp here, uh, some of that, the buyers of some of the hemp that we're growing will be China. So we'll be able to get our hemp, American-grown hemp, uh, sold to China where they will make more textiles, and then those will be sold either to American companies or other companies around the world. And explain to me why, just in terms of the, the shipping the and the carbon footprint, et cetera, why would China have interest? Are we that amazing that China has interest in transporting that heavy crop from America to China, considering how much they grow? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Uh, as I found right now, China, at least the people I'm working with there, uh, are already importing hemp fiber from Europe. Wow. So they don't they don't have enough that they're growing in China that can satisfy all their demand for what they're doing. Wow. So uh, they would much rather uh, buy it uh, from the United States for a few reasons. One, I'd say it's USA. And two, uh, we're only an ocean away. And that brings us to your other part of your question, and that is uh, global transportation and things, as we say, like a carbon footprint and things like that. And it, people may originally feel that to ship things from the U.S. to China, California to China, is a huge waste of money, it's a big carbon footprint. But I have to tell you that ocean freight is the most environmental way to ship anything anywhere, and not by a little, but by a lot, by a lot. It is the most expensive way to ship anything and has the lowest carbon footprint. So just putting something on a boat in California, sending it to China by boat, is cheaper than me sending it by truck from L.A. to San Francisco. It has a low carbon footprint. Yes, and we I just took a carbon literacy certification course um, and learned this as well. So so we can feel better um, about that ocean freight transportation. Absolutely. Yeah, and another thing is we should not think of uh, you know like a country as one person one entity, just as people should not think that about us in the United States. I am not dealing with the Chinese government. I am dealing with good private individuals who happen to own companies there that are also interested in hemp, you know, they want to make a difference. You know, I don't deal with the government or anything like that. And they're dealing with you, not the United States government. And, and you know, fascinatingly enough, it, the reality is no country has really ever satisfied its full demand is the reality of it. I mean, we look at the War of 1812, where where Napoleon invaded Russia to cut off the English Navy supply of hemp, because even back then, England was relying on Russia. 
bring it up to World War II. Of course, the Japanese invade Manila to cut off the United States Navy's supply of hemp. And therein is born Hemp for Victory, the USDA, now begging people at that point to begging farmers to grow hemp after taxing and regulating it out of existence just five years prior. So there we've got China not growing enough to, to satisfy its own demand. And, and we're going to see these demands obviously just increasing exponentially in all of, uh, of these regions as uh, the crop reemerges and as laws change. Let's talk about the hempcrete materials. As you know, uh, of the thousands of products that, that can be made with hemp, and they're all so amazing and wonderful, hempcrete remains my favorite. I, I absolutely love this mold rot, fest and pest, and fire resistant construction infill. Um, you sell the herd and the binder. Can you tell us a little bit about that for sale at Hemp Traders? Yeah, exactly. So uh, as we grow the hemp at Riverdale Hemp Factory and we decorticate it, we end up with bass fiber and herd. Well, we also set up a little machine uh, at the Riverdale Hemp Factory next to the decorticating equipment, and this is able to grind up the hemp herd. And so we're able to sell the various hemp herds at very specified sizes. For example, if you needed sizes that were specific for animal bedding, we have that size. If you needed specific for hempcrete, we have that size. If you needed specific for uh, making plastic, we have that size. You know, going all the way from you know maybe two or three inches all the way down to uh, uh, tenths of a millimeter. Wow, that you were able to meet all of those specs. I mean, this is talking about getting raw materials into the manufacturing supply chain in multiple industries. And you, those were just simple examples uh, that you just gave, obviously. So to be able to have this U.S. grown hemp meeting specifications for multiple industries already, guys, we are, we are here. We're ready to go and add a price that will allow it to happen. Just incredible. Man, Larry, I am just such an honor and a pleasure to know you. It's such an honor to be able to call you my friend. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud for you. I just, I, I just get warm fuzzies all over when I think about the incredible progress that you're making down there, the success that you're already seeing. God only knows you have worked decades for it. And I just want to see every reward come to you. And I know that the most important reward that comes to you is to actually be able to see, feel, and, and know that these products are being, the, the crops being grown, these products are being put out there into the United States. I know that's the number one reward that you look for. Um, like me, the dedication that you have put in to, um, on a pro bono nonprofit level for all of these decades is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and it's just incredible to be able to see these, these just rewards coming. Before we come to a close, is there a question that I didn't ask you, Larry, or something that you want to make sure you tell the listeners before we part? Yeah, uh, I would say if somebody wants to get into the hemp fiber industry, uh, I'd like to give a few tips uh, about it. Okay, one, you know, make sure that your area is able to grow hemp for fiber. You know, where you are around the country, think about when, when does it snow? Is there enough water? Is the soil right? Good rule of thumb, if you grow corn or cotton, you probably grow hemp there. But 
you know, when people call me up and, you know, they're, they're, they're on some tropical island and they're like, oh, we want to grow hemp here, you know, and build all our homes. I'm just like, you know, do you grow anything there? And they're like, no. And, you know, it's, it's not really going to work. You know, it has to really be a farm crop for this to work. Uh, number two, and this is also very important, you have to have a processing facility within 50 miles of where you're growing it. Okay. Beyond that, the shipping costs will eat up and it won't be economically viable. Uh, if you are doing uh, deportation of this, the fiber, you need to have 99.9% uh, .9 separation or better. Otherwise, uh, your product herd or fiber will have very little value or a lot lower value if it's not fully. Uh, you do want your fiber and herd to be clean, you know, free from dust, dirt, and other things. Uniform uh, is important if you're getting into the fiber industry. And then you're going to probably want to be able to tailor the fiber for specific uses. You know, people, everyone's going to want something a little bit different depending on what they want to do with it. I would say if you want to get into the hemp fiber, uh, that's it. If you're a farmer that wants to grow it, probably, well, let's say minimum Minimum 50 acres? I don't know. I, I Yes, well, we figured, I, I think we, we, the profit, oh, by the way, I never talked about that. The profit for a farmer to grow hemp or fiber in California will be $1,600 per acre. That's pretty major. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's competitive with other crops like cotton and being grown there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Amazing. $1,600 an acre. Yeah, profit. It's just incredible. Thank you for all of those tips. Man, is it so important to make those choices. And I know you hear from folks as I do that, you know, they've just been inspired by AMP and they want to grow it and they want to do 3D printing and manufacture textiles and make t-shirts. And yeah, so all of those important things. And the good news for everybody is it's the wide, wide world of hemp is so huge uh, that if you are inspired by hemp, plug in, you're going to find your path because there is something in, in the hemp industries for absolutely everyone. Just need to, to find it and go about it strategically and wisely. Larry, I can't wait to have you back on again. I'm really excited to get down there um, to Southern California. I want to see that cotton gin uh, and visit with you folks and the hemp twins. And I'm just so excited to see you down there. But until we have you back, um, on Hemp Barons again, from Hemp Barons, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your experience, and your joy with us. All right, no problem. My pleasure, Joy. <laughs> no problem sharing you. <laughs> ah, I'm wishing you everything wonderful, brother, and thank you again. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. 
If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.